Bet365 sponsors Handbrake Off and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you need to bet on sport. Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With a Bet365 bet builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live, with Bet365's match live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. The only way to score is, of course, to play... uh is a handbrake off. Hello, this is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm joined this week by two marvellous writers for The Athletic, James McNicholas and Amy Lawrence. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hello, Ian. You're so happy today. I'm happy. You're I'm, a, you're a, a, a ray of sunshine. So, I you thought know something what? was up, but you've never called me a marvellous writer before, so <laughs> you're in a good mood about something. I, do you know what? I've been doing a lot of mindful thinking to try and stay positive, because it's mm. obviously it's um, a shit show out there at the moment, isn't it? Let's be fair. And I think that we have to uh, try and stay positive. And I think the team has been helping, but we'll get to that. Um, but I wake up every morning and I go, what's nice about my life today? And today it was the thought of talking to James McNicholas and Amy Lawrence. So I'm oh. happy. OK. Oh, Thank come you. on. What were you really thinking that was going to make you happy? <laughs> I was thinking about after I'd spoken to the two of you <laughs> and how happy that would be at that point. Anyway, it's not that. It's not that. We, we are speaking, uh, listeners, uh, in the afternoon, the day after we uh, played Liverpool. Uh, we got beaten 3-1. And we will get to that. We will talk uh, about that game. One of the big moments of the game, of course, was Alexandra Lacazette threw on goal at 2-1 in, a, what, the 65th, 70th minute, whatever it was, and didn't really do much with a finish. Um, but we wanted to talk maybe about memorable misses um, because uh, it was quite a big moment in the game. It's possible Liverpool would have scored again, but we don't know, and 2-all would have been nice. So uh, we wanted to ask about memorable misses. James, have you got a memorable miss? And by the way... Um, is anyone going to say Thierry Henry in the Champions League final? I don't. I prefer everybody not to talk would, about everybody that. Everybody would say that first if they were honest. We'll put that aside. So, James, give us another one. Mine goes back to 2012 and Arsenal's game against AC Milan. They were 4 0 down yes. from the first leg. I think that was the first leg in which Thierry Henry actually played. It was right at the end of his loan spell, maybe the last game. And then they turned it round, didn't they? Three nil up. They were. They they needed one more goal to take it to extra time. And I remember Robin van Persie having a, a, a close range opportunity where he went for a chip, I believe. When he, you know, and it's something a little bit tricky. Not, I mean, sort of six yards out, as I recall it. And uh, yeah, still have sort of traumatic memories of that moment because it was a brilliant second leg performance from Arsenal. And one that really ought to have been capped by completing the comeback, but they didn't quite manage it. Thing about that miss, I don't think any of us realised how bad a miss it was until afterwards when we saw the replay. That's Mm. certainly my recollection of it. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I know that it haunted me in the in the weeks and months afterwards, and it's still pretty near the top. When you said worst misses, it was the one that, ha- yeah. given that I've sort of pushed the Henri Champions League final one deep down within me, uh, that was the one that kind of popped out. I don't think it's any good there, to be honest with you. Deep down, no. you've got to let it out. Um, Amy, what about you? Uh, just before I go into mine, which is a really, really dismal memory, um, <laughs> but not so much for the misses, but associated story. Uh, I've got a question. You know, if a player like Lacazette misses a chance like he misses last night, do you think that if it's a player you really, really like, you let them off? And if it's a player that you don't like so much, you get really angry with them, even if it's the same, essentially, same error? I think so. I, I think that's fair because I think that the the degree of focus on the Lacazette miss, I think is partly informed by a sort of wider debate about the player and about his future. Um, you know, I, I was tweeting about this, but kind of people look at XG modelling in different ways and some people think it's nonsense. Oh, yeah. But the, the chance last night would have counted at, depending on who you ask, at sort of 0.3, 0.4 XG, which means you'd only expect that chance to be scored 30 or 40% of the time. And yet, you know, we're looking at saying he's got to score. It's a huge miss. And I think inevitably there's a degree of subjectivity there. Do you think that, Amy, or not? I do a bit because I know I've done it myself where, I don't know, if Ian Wright or Dennis Bergkamp, when Dennis Bergkamp missed that chance, um, which is the penalty uh, against Man United in in, in 99, and that had quite a lot of consequences really. Yeah. you know, I've never, played. I think I only felt sorry for him. I don't think to this day I've ever sat there and thought, bloody Dennis, you know. I always have thought, oh, first of all, it was actually a good save by Peter Schmeichel, a very, very good save, rather than what you would classify as a, uh, you know, as a, as a miss where someone skies it or, or does something dreadful. Good hype for uh, a goalkeeper, though. Sorry, I know it's a cliche, but it was a good hype for a goalkeeper. That but, there, but there have been other, other players where perhaps I feel so, slightly less um, sympathetic or affectionate towards where yes. they might miss a chance and I'd be cursing, you know. And I'm, I know I do it. I don't know whether everybody does it. And I, I'm not sure how fair it is, but I definitely think it does uh, add some nuance sometimes to when you're thinking about big misses. We didn't hold mm. it against Thierry Henry, did we? After, I mean, I know well, exactly. it was a terrible miss, but he, it was. It's partly then about what they've done for the club and what we feel about uh, Alexander Lacazette. Is he hasn't quite produced how we would have hoped he would, so therefore these misses are magnified. Yeah, and some players make a career out of you know getting a lot of chances, and and inevitably that means they miss. I mean, it's been less true of late because his finishing's been absolutely astounding but in his first sort of season and a half it was kind of a trademark of a Bemiang's game that you know he, he would get several big chances in a game and there'd be misses in there but yeah. the, his athleticism and his movement and his intelligence would mean he'd get another one and he'd take it and a lot of the time with strikers I think it's so much about their ability to recover from those misses and you look at Lacazette and the way he was sat there on the bench after he'd been <laughs> covering brought his off, face I mean, you know, he, he really felt that one. And so inevitably Good. you fear for him a bit. Good. He should have felt that one. I personally never want to speak of him again. Amy, what about you? Um, well, mine is... Uh, I'll, let, I'll let the listeners decide. Um, <laughs> I think you just answered Amy's question, basically. I think so, yeah. Uh, it's a bit of a long story. I'll try and keep it short. But um, this is a, a tough one for me to say out loud. I think it was 1997. Do you remember when Ian Wright broke Arsenal's goal-scoring record against Bolton? Mm-hmm. Well, what you might not remember is the game before was against Tottenham at Highbury. 
um, and it was a, a, a nil-nil draw and Ian Wright had a number of chances in that game, the kind of chance that ordinarily he would be putting away uh, in his sleep. But I think the pressure of everyone thinking he might break the record, and especially at home to Tottenham, was very much evident. You could almost see that he was snatching at things and it, 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 he wasn't his quite normal self. And I think, if memory serves, there were two or three or four games prior to that where people were waiting for this goal, for him to break the record. I was re- reporting on the match that night, and just to put it in its uh, time context, uh, in the early days of um, you know, much simpler time before much electronics were around on a day-to-day basis. So you wrote the, the story, there was no internet. It would be a physical thing in the newspaper, and that was all that you see. You had a quill pen, didn't you? I remember oh, this. Oh, yes. yes, I had many. Um, but anyway, uh, at the same sort of time, there was a lot of talk about Princess Diana and Dodie. <laughs> right. Nice. It was all over the newspapers. There was a lot going on with them, people talking about their relationship and what it might mean and what was going on. And I wrote my introduction to my match report at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon with some throwaway line analogy about God waiting for this Ian Wright goal. It's like become so boring. It's like, can anyone talk about anything else? It's like they're talking about Diane Dodie or some Uh such. (laughs) I think you know where this is going. Yep. (laughs) Anyway, when when the news broke of of the tragic death of, of Princess Diana and Dodie in a car crash in Paris, that was that you know that Saturday night, at Sunday morning at two o'clock in the morning, and when I awoke and heard the news, in addition just to the obvious shock and sadness that everybody felt to, to learn of something like that, my I, I just felt an, destroyed by the fact that completely unwittingly I'd written what looked like the most clumsy and appalling thing that you could possibly write, and it was going to be in the paper that day because there was no taking it out by then, there was no changing it. I th- I'm very much still haunted by that. Oh, my goodness. I mean, everyone remembers where they were when they read Amy's piece. Absolutely. <laughs> that day. It's one of those famous moments. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, Ian, listen. what miss did you have? I, do you know what? I, I did actually think about the, uh, the Van Persie miss against Milan because mm. that was such a moment. But I've also written down um, uh, Aubameyang against Olympiakos in the last... Um, was it against Olympiacos oh, yeah. when we lost? You'd yeah. forgotten that, hadn't you? Because mm. it was such a... We, we let in the goal and you thought, oh, it's over. And then there were about five minutes to go. And suddenly you thought, oh, hang on, we only need a goal here. And Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who, let's be fair, has been uh, the best player at the club for the last couple of years, missed what I think we can all describe as a sitter that would have got us through. Absolutely, um, yeah. And, um, but we've forgiven him. Of course we've forgiven him. I think this goes back to Amy's point because what he's done for the club has been immense. And and you go, okay, strikers miss chances, but it was a bad miss. I remember, um, I think it was Sven Mislintat when he was talking about Aubameyang uh, at one point and his qualities and his character and so on, that one of the things that really stuck out for him was that he has a a very um, refined ability to deal with something that goes wrong in a game and just get over it very fast and throw it away and forget about it. Uh, and I and somebody tweeted me before saying, or I think it was maybe one of the comments um, on, on the Athletic, with the question, you know, do you think Lacazette is going to be affected by that miss? Yeah, he looked really destroyed by it. And 
it is an interesting point because as a professional player you just have to get on with it and make sure that your next chance that falls your way you hopefully can uh, uh, can can make it count and that is one of a, uh, the specific strengths of Aubameyang that Sven Mislintat said kind of amazed him that he had a very strong capacity to just if the, if he misses one of those chances like you were talking about before James mm. that comes along in a game and that he just kind of doesn't let it get under his skin and just prepares himself to deal with the next chance that comes his way. Well, when you uh, think about the Man City game in the um, the semi-final of the Cup, when he went through on goal and he had a great chance and he hit it straight at the goalkeeper and you thought, oh, that's our chance. Didn't yeah. affect him. Ten minutes later, he, he scored a much, much tougher finish. I guess strikers need that level of confidence. They go, oh, well, it happens. But certainly, um, I think Lacquer will take a few days to get over that. He probably didn't sleep well last night. Not sure he's the only one. <laughs> sponsors Handbrake Off, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Carries was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors. Jeff and Andy knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave, a weighted ergonomic handle, five precision engineered blades, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. I haven't been shaving for a while. Right now, I look a little bit like Saddam Hussein is when he came out of the hole, but some people are still keeping their standards up. And if you're one of them, as a listener of Handbrake Off, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash off right now. That's harrys.com forward slash off. Uh, normally what we do um, is we, we, we talk about a specific subject and then we maybe talk about some of the pieces that uh, that James and Amy have been uh, involved in or written for The Athletic. Um, I read your piece, Amy, this morning about the game last night. I, I, I mean, it was essentially like you dipped inside my head and gone, this is what <laughs> did you do? Really? I, it was so beautifully summed up. Um, uh, and the headlines from it, I guess. Can we, first of all, w I think we have to acknowledge how good Liverpool were last night, Amy, yes? Well, I, I, I don't know about you, Ian and James, but there was a moment in that first half where I thought there's some psychic, magical force going <laughs> on here where I'm sitting at home in London, you know, 200 miles away from where this is all happening. And I, I'm like feeling like, like I've got pressure on my chest. Like I can't really <laughs> breathe properly. Just watching yeah. the way yeah. that Liverpool hunt you down and press you back and smother you and uh, and constrict you and restrict you. And it was like a physical thing that you could feel just watching through the television. And I thought, blimey, this is a, a, a whole level of amazing that really exemplified... Um, I suppose, and Arteta wasn't uh, shying away from this at all and hasn't done at any of the points when Arsenal played against Liverpool lately, whether it was a win at home or the charity shield, uh, penalty shootout victory or, or this, which is they are a very de highly developed uh, unit and 
There's been time, commitment, clever recruitment, brilliant coaching, um, all sorts of uh, things behind the scenes that have gone into the creation of what they are. And it is something special, let's be honest. Uh, so from that point of view, I, I thought it was uh, important not to overreact. Um, and, you know, borrowing from the Ian Stone book of mindfulness, trying to wake up and look positively at things. <laughs> See, it was inside your head. Um, I, I, there is a... a I think a, 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 a real, uh, you know, when you know when you see those terrible games where ever something really awful has happened, and the post-match interview, the poor reporter goes up to the uh, to the manager or whatever and goes, "Um, can you take any positives from the game?" You know, and it's always slightly excruciating. But I genuinely think there were positives to take from this, even though at times you could really feel how much work and how many good things have to happen for Arsenal to make not just the one jump, but there may be two or three phases of jumps to try and aspire to get to that level that Liverpool at their best are capable of. But, but to not get hammered for a start is, is, you know, is yes. a positive. To not James, be 4-0 down after like 13 minutes or something, come on, you know. I, I mean, James, I think that's a fair point. How many Liverpool games in the last seven or eight years at Anfield have we watched the first 20 minutes and then thought, I want to turn over at this point? Yeah, too many is the answer. And I think there was a stat doing the rounds, Arsenal would ship 30 goals in their past eight visits to Anfield. Um, cumulatively, not per game, although it has yeah. felt like that at times. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, without wishing to kind of turn this into a, a Liverpool podcast, I was particularly impressed by the, the fact that they're able to generate that sort of intensity without a crowd. You know, Arsene yes. Wenger has spoken about how Anfield can almost be this 12th man, this huge galvanising influence. And Klopp is so acutely aware of that, you know, he kind of orchestrates that. For them to play at that level, you know, with that degree of physical and mental intensity, without any of that, was hugely impressive, I thought. And Arsenal were hanging in there in that first half. And, you know, it was a one-goal margin at half-time. But I think really that flattered us and we, we were doing well to be honest to be in the game in any fashion at that point James do you think that a really interesting point that we maybe sometimes overstate the importance of the you know emotional mm. atmosphere that the fans mm. present in terms of creating a, a, an environment for players to play at their best because uh, you know watching that game last night obviously you're missing um, the sights and sounds and that kind of crackling energy that you would get in the background but if you just looked at the game in itself I don't think for a moment you'd sit there and think this game is I mean there were a couple of cutaways of not just the Liverpool players but David Luiz and Rob Holding like sweating with their eyes kind of really intense like ferociously kind of like slightly wide and slightly scared like I am concentrating as much as I can here but this is so bloody hard yeah and maybe, uh, maybe we have, we do sometimes romanticise what the fans bring, and that once the players are out there, that that while it can be a factor, it obviously doesn't have to be. I think that's very possible. I mean, if you look at say the FA Cup final or the Champions League matches that were played out, it's not like they lacked that sort of you know professional intensity that you would expect in a big game. They all kind of had that feel and you were drawn into them as a, a viewer through the television accordingly. Maybe we do flatter ourselves a bit. I think, 
you know, if you look at the way Sadio Mane was running around in that first two minutes, clattering into uh, Bellerin and then Tierney, I mean, it's not like the absence of a crowd meant he wasn't fired up. He was red hot going into that game and maybe lucky to stay on the pitch. Um, I think you make a good point. One thing that it probably does affect and probably one of the reasons that Klopp is such a, an advocate for having that strong home support, I think it probably has quite a big role on the officiating. And I think maybe we're seeing a little bit of that, although it didn't really go in Arsenal's favour last night. I remember when Lee was asked about it, he was like, oh no, the crowd helped me. And he's not here to kind of defend this point, but... He's unusual though, isn't he? I well, <laughs> he's no, an unusual man. I, I don't no, mean do that mean? in a bad way, but you understand that he. I don't think all players have that reaction. And, and like he said, he wanted to take penalties in front of the away supporters. I don't know how many players would actually be like that. Yeah, and I think that there are sort of lots of different effects that it's quite difficult to measure. I mean, you might feel like I'm getting all this adrenaline off a crowd, but whether or not that actually helps your performance is maybe a different question. So. It's really difficult to say, but I think it's definitely a, an interesting point, Amy. Um, all right, so we, we put in the fact that Liverpool are an excellent team, one of the best two or three teams in the world uh, right now, I would say. And in the past seven or eight seasons, we've gone to Anfield and been out of the game in the first 20 minutes, and we were still in the game in the 86th minute. Um, we have to take encouragement from that. Um, but I, I did a tweet last night where I said, give us a couple of decent central midfield players, really like proper central midfield players. I'm not saying Partey and Aouar will be the ones, but let's just say those two. And we have a bit more of a measure of control of that game. And we are competing in that game with Liverpool. Gary Lineker then said, we well, need a couple of defenders as well. I said, well, we have two that weren't playing that I'm hopeful will be the ones. Mm. I got quite a lot of abuse from Liverpool fans who basically said I was deluded. Um, but I tend, I, I'm encouraged, like I say, I have been my, doing my mindfulness, but I am encouraged by how much progress there's been, James, since the last, even the last time we went to Anfield, where I think after 60 minutes we were out of the game. Yeah, I mean, like I said, we, we, we've shown at the Emirates Stadium and at Wembley that we can take on this Liverpool team and we can beat, beat them. them. Beat yeah. them. Um, which is a huge stride. I think there is a still this problem of going to uh, away grounds where our record is, is terrible against the big six. It's seemingly, you know, even without fans, we've not been able to fix that. I think that is a huge item on Mikel Arteta's to-do list. You know, can he get this landmark victory away from home against a big team? But I also think it's worth saying that while we can seemingly contest things with Liverpool in one instance in a 90-minute game or in some 90-minute games, I think that's while that's where we want to be, it's not really the next step for this team. It's probably... No probably three steps away and those steps might take longer or shorter depending on how much transfer business we can do but I, I think it's encouraging and there are big games coming up you know the rest of this month we play Man City we play uh, Leicester and we play Manchester, Manchester United, United. Yep. sorry next month this is October and um, you know I think the Liverpool game is difficult to derive too many conclusions from that one match but I think when we look at those four fixtures, I think we'll have a much clearer sense of how far we have come under Mikel Arteta, hopefully some way. I mean, Amy, uh, in a sense, Liverpool are not even direct rivals to us, are they? If you look at the two teams and say, not one of our players 
would get into Liverpool's team right now because you're not going to replace Mane with Aubameyang because he's brilliant as well. So not one of our players gets into that team. We, we are, in some senses, nowhere near them. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not all positivity here, but I'm just saying, <laughs> stating the basic facts that their 11, 1 to 11, are better than our 11. Estonia, I'm just imagining the good angel and bad angel having a conversation from your shoulders. <laughs> that goes on all year. the time. I mean, all the time <laughs> for everything that happens to me. But what do you think about that basic point? Look, I, I, I think that it, exactly what James is, uh, is referring to is, is, is the pertinent thing here. Um, Arsenal shouldn't be assessing their season based on the result of a game at Anfield. I think there are things you can take from the performance that you can learn from. And I'm sure that Arteta and his coaches will be pondering um, their approach, some of the team selection uh, scenarios. Was it the right thing to start with Xhaka and Elneny as a central midfield pairing um, and kind of totally denude the idea of being creative in that area of the pitch and basically be looking at that high ball from David Luiz to Aubameyang or possibly another one of the four players is like the thing. Um, but Can it's... I just jump in on that, Amy, to say that mm. Arsenal's, uh, the player from Arsenal who made the most passes into the final third was David Luiz against Liverpool. He made the most attempts and the most completed passes into the final third. I think it was part of the, that was part of the plan, wasn't it? Yeah. That was, I think that was considered to be the, the safest bet for getting the ball forward safely. Um, but, I mean, I, I thought it was a really nice moment from Arteta after the game when I think that he was queried about, like, you know, can you really be coming to... Should you be coming and sort of sitting back and hoping for the best? And he was a bit like, <laughs> you know, we can what? you know we can take that. It's, it's a bit damned if you do and damned if you don't because, yeah. quite rightly, as he pointed out, if you just try and go for it, then the chances are that the ball arrives at Van Dijk and he pings it forward to, you know... Mane, Salah and Firmino and you're dead anyway so um, it's a bit like which way which way do you want to fall on your sword sometimes Liverpool are on that, in, in that kind of form I don't think there's a, a strategy that is guaranteed to get you a good result um, we're, Arsenal are not there yet and it's no shame to uh, have that as part of the process of the evolution that Arsenal are on but these next games are the ones now. I mean, there's going to be nothing harder than Liverpool at Anfield, you would imagine. There's some really good teams out there. But these next uh, four league games feel, I wouldn't say defining, but feel like they can very much set the tone for what yes. Arsenal's realistic ambitions are for this season. Wouldn't it be great if every clothing store you shopped at had only your size, the styles you like and everything at the price you want? Well, Stitch Fix is a company focused on doing just that. It's an online personal styling company that makes getting the clothes you love simple. It's a completely different way to shop and it's all about you. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk slash athletic to set up your profile and they'll deliver great looks personalised just for you. You'll pay a £10 styling fee for each fix, which is credited towards anything you keep. Schedule at any time with no subscription. Delivery and returns are completely free and easy, so you can always send back items that aren't right for you. Get started with Stitch Fix today by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic right now. 
So, okay, we, we've we've established that we've got a long way to go and we need some replacements. One of the things well, you said... Lo- your... so, sorry to... It's a, there's a long way to go to get to the very, very top. There's not necessarily such a long way to go to get to the top four. And that's where I think it's it, it's worth putting in its, uh, its place and having some perspective and saying, trying to get to that Liverpool level is going to take a few jumps. But the first jump is trying to get back in that top four. But, you know, to be fair, five years ago, Liverpool were drawing 2-2 at home with West Brom and celebrating in front of the cop like it was a win. So, you know, we understand that there are steps in this whole process. But one of the things you brought up, Amy, in your piece was the fact that the board have to back them to a certain extent. You can certainly see... From Liverpool, it's not just about what happens on the pitch, it's what's off the pitch as well. And there's a lot of joined-up thinking there. Do you think that our club have the same level of joined-up thinking? Can we have that exact question this time next week? <laughs> you can have it every week if um, you want. But... Uh, yeah, it's it's um, it just feel, feels like... Uh, a, to, to really re- realise the ambition that Arteta has... He does have to have some um, sharper tools, let's say, uh, in the squad. And while there's already been some wheels in motion, very little of that happens overnight. And, and particularly, you talked about Gabriel and Saliba at centre back, hopefully being the answer. Tierney already has made a massive improvement in the defence. Um, but that's obviously not going to be an overnight scenario. Midfield, and possibly, as James said earlier, where you know, the question of Lacazette is the high, high-class striker that you need to really make those hugest strides. They're all still up for debate. Um, but s- definitely helping that midfield out with high quality is... It's been paramount for ages and it still is. And as we speak today, um, the, the, the rumours keep churning away. But that's got to be turned into something concrete. Uh, I think it would be... I think Arteta would be really cheesed off if one of the top targets in that department do not appear in the next week. And I think he'd be right to be cheesed off, to be honest. The prices are not astronomical. You know, Partey's got a fixed price and we know what it is. And it isn't 100 million. And Awar, it seems to be similarly in the 40 to 50 million kind of uh, range. That is not astronomical for a really classy young player. The main thing I would admire, well, there's so much to admire in this Liverpool team, but when you look at the central midfield, they had Thiago on the bench. You know. Jordan Henderson can't get in the team. Yeah, and, and those midfielders that they play, the likes of Wijnaldum, they have such a combination of technical skill and physicality. I mean, it is really, really far advanced of what we're doing. Our players look one-paced and one-dimensional by comparison, and we really do need to close that gap. That is the most drastic area, you know, requiring attention. So, I, I'm I'm optimistic that Arsenal will do something in what remains the transfer window. I think they have to if they want to achieve their goal this season, which, as we've said, is is top four in Champions League qualification. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Ian Stone here with Amy Lawrence and James McNicholas. Normally at this point, we do go through uh, the pieces that um, 
you guys have written, but I say we have talked about uh, Amy's piece, and I would encourage people to write it just if you want to know what goes on in my head <laughs> after the game. But um, just generally, I, I think it's a very, very fine summation of where we are and where we need to be. Um, we were talking about transfers, about mm. um, possibly OR and uh, Partey coming uh, along. James, you were you were a co-contributor to a piece that's uh, on the Athletic website. Is it on the Athletic website now? Or will it go up shortly? It's up there now, yeah. It's about the last week of the transfer window and some of the panic and chaos that that can create. And uh, while I wouldn't necessarily apply the idea of panic, I do think this could be... A pretty eventful week uh, for Arsenal because when you go through the squad from the goalkeepers through to the strikers, there are so many players, I think, who would still be potentially available to, to sell. If the, if the buyer came in, I think <laughs> Arsenal would be open to selling quite a lot of these players. They might yeah. have to sell a few of them in order to get the players that we're, we're talking about. Um, yeah, but part of the reason that they are, Arsenal are open to selling them is also part of the reason that no one is open to buying them as well. Let's well, be absolutely. fair, right? And we know who yeah. we're talking about, but we are overburdened with centre-halves and various other players that are not doing much. And, uh, you know, kids are on the naughty step and, and clubs don't really need to take chances with players like that, do they? No. Uh, and I think, you know, it's a deflated market slightly anyway because of the economic circumstances. People aren't looking to deposit huge amounts of money on basically untested or, uh, you know, underperforming players. So Arsenal are in a bit of a bind there. But like Amy says, you know, the fees that we're talking about for Party and Noir, Party's maybe a bit trickier because you're obliged to pay the entire fee up front. I just think it's going to be a really interesting seven days now between now and the end of the window. I think it's going to be busy. You know, Arteta was asked last night what's going to happen and he, he basically had to say he doesn't yet know. And while we know what Arsenal want to do, you know, whether or not they're able to get over the line is a different matter. So, And I think it will be very, very defining, actually. I think that as long as Arsenal don't improve their central midfield, I think there is a ceiling on the potential of this team. And I think we saw that ceiling. We sort of bumped into it a bit last night. I think we need new blood, players who are more multifaceted, more versatile in terms of what they do on and off the ball if we are to substantially improve. Right now, we're offering you the opportunity to subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month. You can access all of our James, Amy's and David Ornstein's writing on Arsenal, including Amy's article on how Arteta needs serious investment if he's going to close the gap to Liverpool. The offer is only running for a limited time, so go to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod to sign up. That's theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod and pay just £1 a month. I mean, Amy, why why do clubs, you've, you've observed plenty of transfer windows, clubs leave it so late and... You know, the season has started. We are three games in. There is an argument to say that with our uh, and, and Partey both in that central midfield last night, we might have nicked a draw off of them. Yeah, I, I, I must admit, when I looked at the fixtures and noticed that we, there was going to be five matches played before the end of the transfer window, um, even in the summer, I had that kind of gnawing feeling in the pit of the stomach of knowing that the team and the squad would not be complete uh, and the building would not be in its ultimate state uh, for game for match day one. And, and you know, was looking at those fixtures thinking if there are drop points there, then 
it frustrates you to think that that might have been uh, avoided or lessened slightly had all the players that you want to have come in come in but this market is a, a even more nightmarish than usual yes. because of covid and uh, edu said the other day that he's had many many phone calls i think the players are also trying to get rid of it's not like nobody's ringing in for the vast majority of them but virtually everyone's chancing their arm and saying ah come on then let's just do a little little swap here we'll have a loan you know uh, what can we do can we just borrow this player for a while and that's no good if you need cash to buy. So I think that Arsenal have been operating a bit with the, with an arm behind their back. But that's not uh, new in the sense that very, very usually it's a lot of last minute stuff going on. Um, it's a frustration, but it's the nature of the beast. And it was why it made a load of sense to try and bring the uh, end of the window to just before the season starts. But obviously with COVID, that's just became impossible quite uh james there are some brilliant stories in this piece um, <laughs> i mean absolutely yeah. outstanding i quite like the leeds managing director david haig had flown out for a hiking holiday in europe and so he was unreachable for when they signed uh, uh was an italian player uh, he's the one of the people i have to sign off on it there's yeah. loads of good stories here. I, I, I mean, uh, I, I know last week, was it, you talked about great Arsenal number nines and not so great Arsenal number nines. And the story of uh, Park Chu Young's arrival on deadline day is particularly funny. He was undergoing a medical uh, with Lille at the time, about to sign for them from Monaco, when Arsenal decided to sort of push the button and intervene, <laughs> cut across the deal. So Dick Law uh, called, uh, who was Arsenal's transfer negotiator at the time, called Park's agent. A Parks agent hung up because he didn't believe that Arsenal were in for the player. <laughs> they then arranged a video call over Skype in which uh, Dick showed them his Arsenal business card and they still <laughs> didn't believe that it was Arsenal. Uh, and eventually Arsene Wenger had to get involved and sort of say, look, this is serious, we want to bring you here. I mean, to be honest, uh, <laughs> I wish they hadn't believed it, but there you go. Uh, but yeah, that's. I mean, that shows you how, quite how mad these last few days of the window can be and it is kind of entertaining in a sort of slightly bleak commercial way it will be fascinating to see the 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 wheeling and dealing and the buying and selling and and what we end up with because you know that will ultimately play a massive part in defining our limitations this season and when is it october the 5th 6th it's next monday yeah the 5th i believe is the deadline okay okay we will of course keep a close eye on that as i'm sure you will do uh, listeners uh, before we go uh, we'd uh, we'd like a tune uh, i was ahead of the game on this one by the way uh, but uh, i'm going to let you guys go first james do you have a, a song that gives no, us no let a, amy uh, go first and i'll think right. of something quickly well, Amy. I have to credit uh, Tim Stillman here, Stilberto, who tweeted uh, during this show um, uh, a potential Our song. Oh, uh, okay. Fleetwood Mac, uh, Everywhere. And I'm, I'm not sure whether or not to, to sing it to you, but it Please does, do, does, it does I want to be with you everywhere. Oh, I, I want to be with you everywhere. That one. Okay. That one. I think that's great. I want to be with you everywhere. That was a lovely rendition as well. It was. It was almost like Stevie Nicks was in the room with us, wasn't it, really? Um, <laughs> I'm retiring now. 
Uh, James, have you thought of one? Or are you just too captivated by Amy's singing? Well, I'm happy with that choice and I quite like that song. I mean, how you'd think lends himself to quite a lot of songs, right? There must be a lot of songs with... Lyric hour I think hour. there's a Kate Bush one that suddenly came to mind. I had, um, well, uh, only because it sort of fits with how I'm feeling at the moment, uh, Accentuate the Positive, um, which is, uh, I think, from a <laughs> oh, Dennis yeah. Potter, which I, I, I feel it's important at the moment uh, with all that's going on out there. And I, I, I see nothing, I really see nothing but progress in our club. And I, and I genuinely want to accentuate the positive, and I'm not really interested in negativity at the moment. Uh, don't mess with it, Mr. In-Between, either, is my general thought about the whole thing. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm having, OK? And I don't know who makes the decision on who chooses, uh, but um, I'll, I'll leave it tire. with... Well, is it Tyo? OK. Because uh, our producer at the moment is uh, on his way back from, uh, uh, from uh, foreign climbs. But thank you. To, uh, uh, to Tom, who produced the show uh, today. Thank you to Amy and James as well. Uh, I'm Ian Stone. This has been Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast for The Athletics. Stay safe, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>